This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I do communications as a volunteer for Chapter 49. I'm also a retiree. This is our weekly podcast, the Chapter 49 podcast. And as always, Duncan Giles has joined us, Chapter 49. President Duncan, welcome once again. Good morning, Larry. Thanks. And uh, we're honored to have as our guest today Ken Moffat, Director of Negotiations for the National Union out of Washington, D.C., the National Treasury Employees Union. So, Ken Moffat, uh, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Let me start uh, the questioning, Ken. I've got uh, my opening question. I'm bringing Duncan in on this. The big issue everyone's talking about this week, and Duncan and I did a special edition of our podcast earlier this week, which broke all records for a number of people listening. And that has to do with the Social Security withholding. Um, it was supposed to uh, go into effect the, the pay period, that, or the, with the paycheck coming, it may be later. Uh, we've heard a lot of uh, information, a lot of lack of information on this. As someone who is tied into discussions at the NTU National Office, as of September 3rd here in the late morning, uh, where does all that stand? Well, it, uh, it, it looks like the federal government is, in, including the IRS, is going to actually, um, they're going to, you know, they're following the executive order that was issued by the president. Um, and they are going to start uh, deducting the employee's share of social security tax, which is currently set at 6.2%, um, I think, in this pay period. There are a lot of questions about that. Um, uh, well, so the impact of that would be that you would no longer be have withheld from your pay every pay period um, that 6.2% that you normally would. Um, it's a deferral. Uh, so the amounts that are withheld between September and December 31st would have to be repaid. And that's where you get into a lot of the questions. Um, there is a uh, threshold above which, um, or below, uh, there's a- 104,000. Yeah, there's 104,000 uh, per year threshold. Um, so it applies for folks that are earning um, less than that per year. Uh, and that would, you know, of course, be determined by uh, your grade step and your locality pay. Um, but yeah, the biggest, one of the biggest questions is what happens to employees who have had this uh, withholding deferred um, leave the government. That's one of the big questions. Um, and the other questions are, uh, how are they going to, how are they going to recoup the, because it's a deferment, how are they going to recoup the FICA that is not being withheld from employees uh, pay every pay period? Yeah, and if I can follow up just with one thing before I turn this over to Duncan, I, I've seen an awful lot in the federal employee news websites that I follow on a regular basis. It appears the Defense Department's payroll operation has already announced that this will not be a choice amongst employees. It's an employer decision, not employee. So employees will have no uh, option to opt out of this. As I understand it, the National Finance Center, which does the payroll for IRS, isn't answering any questions. Can you 
clue us in uh, in any way. On I what have you're seen something from DFAS, uh, which is the the payroll provider for the Department of Defense, indicating that it's not there is no option on the part of the employees. Um, and I think you're correct that NFC has not gotten back to the IRS about that. But I think the IRS has indicated that there will not be any option for employees to essentially elect to not have the amounts deferred. Duncan, I'll turn this over to you. Yeah, and Ken, I would uh, assume that the IRS is saying, this is out of our hands. We, you know, we're not happy with it either, but it, it's come down and, you know, if it, we wish employees could opt out. Well, right. It's, it's, it's the president has issued the executive order and the secretary of the treasury is, is, uh, you know, has announced or issued the guidance on it and they're going to follow it. Uh, and uh, yeah, therefore um, I think you're right, Duncan, that employees are not going to be able to uh, essentially opt out of it. Now it's, yeah. It's obviously contrary or it's different in the private sector, whereas you probably know and have read that there is a number of employers that are that are deciding not to stop the um, FICA withholding. Yeah, that's the one. They're going to continue it. Yeah. What I've read is that um, in the guidance, there is nothing about opting out. So if companies do, you know, engage in this then they wouldn't, you know, their employees wouldn't have a, cho- a choice. And I just think it's nuts for IRS employees who this is going out to. This is, as we said, it's going to impact anybody making less than 104 grand a year. So this will hit up to some grade 13s. Right. So if you're grade 13 or below, um, you know, this, this could impact you. And this is going to hit about 60% of the federal workforce is what they're estimating about 1.3 million people will have to do this loan. And again, what we're advising here, what I'm advising strongly to everyone is to take this money that's going to be taken out, put it into a savings account, don't touch it. And that way you'll have that money to pay it back. I know the temptation's great to use it for whatever, but you could end up with, you know, possibly a $1,500 bill to have to pay whether they want to do it per pay period or all at once that they nobody's determined yet and just, you know, keep yourself safe because we don't want anybody to get into any tax issues because it's something out of everyone's control. That's right. That's, that's one of the, one of the other major concerns is um, employees, you know, it's a, it's a benefit. It's an immediate benefit from, from now until the end of the year, but then it's uh, a detriment either because you're, you get a tax bill or because you're going to be, uh, you're going to have FICA withheld at double the rate next year, which means your pay is going to be, um, you know, your take-home pay is going to be less. If I can follow up with one other angle of this, if I may, uh, I've been reading a lot, again, on this issue, and I know that the Secretary of the Treasury went before Congress recently and and pushed for the Congress to pass a law. The president can't do this, pass a law to forgive this. So even though the um, uh, federal employees will not have this withheld, will have that money, uh, Mnuchin, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, was pushing Congress, well, why don't you pass a law to forgive this? And another angle of this, and I'd like you to say a word or two about this, 
that I did not think about is the fact that if, let's say, the Congress were to pass a law saying, okay, federal employees, you don't have to pay this back next year after all. Yeah, that sounds like good news, but that could impact your uh, uh, calculation for your retirement. I mean, that's that's an angle I hadn't even thought about. Yeah, I I have not thought about that either. Um, yeah, I, I if you're talking about your your calculation for for example your high three, um, or it could affect uh, your entitlement to Social Security once you retire. Um, I haven't I haven't thought about that, but yeah, there there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that could be implicated um, by this. Uh, yeah, the thing is, though, Congress would have to pass something, and the chances of Congress passing a holiday instead of this deferral is about the same as me being named Mister Universe this year. Chances are slim and none, and Slim Dunn took the last stagecoach out of town. I don't I see that. I think that's the predominant opinion is that it's very likely that Congress is going to is going to pass some kind of uh, law that um, that says that employees do not have to repay it. Well, that yeah, that's again, we're speculating here. So people should plan the way the law stands now and then we'll wait and see what Congress does. So uh, I think that's the. uh, Yeah, I think the worst the worst thing that could happen is if they decide that, um, well, Congress doesn't act. Um, and they decide that what they're going to do is send employees a tax bill for the repayment of the entire portion uh, of everything that's been that's not been withheld from pay period eighteen on, uh, and 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 seek repayment all at one time. Yep, that that's, that's the nightmare that's, scenario. That's the nightmare, right? The nightmare scenario because. Um, there are going to be employees that, for whatever reason, may not be able to pay that, and then you get into potential for discipline and and that type of thing. Not going to move along. Let's uh, to change the subject now. Absolutely. Let's um, let's talk about um, weather and safety leave because, uh, as I understand it, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of eight percent of IRS employees who are currently on weather and safety leave. It's not a big percentage, but IRS is a big agency, so we are talking about thousands of people. Uh, as we move forward, uh, what what do you think is going to happen with weather and safety leave? These people who are uh, judged as high risk and, and uh, have uh, self-certified that they are, uh, what do you see happening as we move forward on that front? Well, I mean, I... I think that, you know, from an OPM standpoint, um, if you're in it from a CDC standpoint, that if an employee is high risk, the reason that they're entitled to and are getting weather and safety leave is because they do not have portable work um, that can be performed at, at their home or telework site. And I think that as long as there is a risk to these folks of um, either severe illness or wor- or worse, uh, if they were directed to come into the work site, um, I I don't I don't foresee that the IRS you know as long as the pandemic exists, 
uh, and people are still dying, which they are, I don't see that the agency would uh, would direct them to come in. In other words, I think that they would, um, I, I would think that they're going to continue to follow uh, the CDC guidelines and, and what OPM has said. And do you, th- do you think the agency, there, there may be, there may be some issues about, you know, whether or not the, whether or not the agency is, is, you know, going to, to look at that closer in terms of the, the self-certification. I'm just not sure. Well, that was my next question. Thank you. You anticipated that. Uh, how long will the agency allow people to self-certify? And, and then you sort of answered that question. Could you expand a bit on that? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I, um, well, there's, you know, there's basically, if you look at the CDC, um, high risk guidance, um, it's, it's really two categories. It's your age, uh, and it's a, uh, an existing or, you know, pre-existing medical condition, um, that would put you into a, um, a high, you know, this high risk grouping. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, as the age, the age aspect of it is, is already known by your employer um, because they, you know, in your OPF, they, when they hire you, they have, they have your date of birth. So if they're using the aspect of the CDC guidance that says that those who are in their 60s or 70s or older are at a higher risk of severe illness or worse, because if they caught COVID-19, then I, that's something that's, you know, easily uh, verifiable. Um, when you get into the medical condition, you, you have, um, you know, the, you have other issues um, such as whether, you know, Privacy Act issues and, and that type of thing. Okay, Duncan Giles, take it from here. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that we all, in my discussions with executives, everybody's just unsure of what to do. From what I've heard, they want to make sure people are safe, but of course they want to get as many people, you know, back to work as soon as possible. And, you know, in my discussions, or this, I'm sure the same as Ken's have been and everybody else's at National NTU, it's like, well, make more of the work portable. What can we do to get more people on telework? That way you'll have them working. Um, so it's it's just a, it's a wait and see situation. By the way, speaking of uh, being of an age, certain age, to do that. I understand, Larry, today is your birthday, so I do want to wish you a happy birthday, sir. Well, thank you for that. That's appreciated. Uh, I'm almost at the age now where uh, birthdays are more observed than celebrated, but uh, it's always better to have one than not to have one, so was thank that, you very was much. Was that smooth, Ken, or what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to say something about him being in a high-risk... Uh... Well, I certainly am. That's no, it's, not a, it's not a close call, Ken, just so you know that. But, go ahead, Duncan. Yeah, that one already went without saying that he was high risk. I mean, he's associating with me, so that's high risk on its own, even if the CDC doesn't recognize it. Right. Okay, Duncan, next question is yours. Okay. Um, yeah, any sense, Ken, of right now that you're hearing when your discussions with the IRS on how they're going to help folks with equipment for telework. I know that they've said that they've canvassed the business units have canvassed their employees for their needs, which of course scares the heck out of me for that being the way that they're going to look at this. 
and trying to get IT to get the equipment to people, you know, specifically things like portable printers, toner, things of that nature that people need while they're working telework. What's what's the latest word you're hearing on that? Yeah, I, well, it's kind of a it's an ongoing process um, for the IRS. And, I, you know, this is something that they've been looking at for the last couple of months and trying to get additional uh, printers. I mean, you have certain divisions. Divisions are looking at what their needs are of the employees, whether or not they need printers, whether or not they need printers with scanning capabilities, that type of thing. I mean, based on, you know, if you look at just the contract, um, the only people that had that type of equipment were those that were, you know, frequent teleworkers uh, for the most part. And so once IRS issued the evacuation order to everyone, um, you had, you know, thousands of employees who were not frequent teleworkers that are now working at home. And um, so this is, uh, there's part of this is budget. Um, and part of this is the, each of the, um, you know, business divisions determining which employees, uh, really need, um, the additional equipment and, you know, which ones, uh, do not need it. And, um, I mean, they've, they've, you know, they, they're, they're making adjustments. They've, they've gotten equipment. I mean, one of the, uh, probably one of the, you know, there's, you can't really say that anything good comes out of a pandemic, but in terms of working conditions, um, as you know, Duncan, uh, we had, NTU had for years been pushing IRS to expand telework to call site employees. Decades. For, for yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long time. And, you know, we have entered into a series of uh, MOUs with, uh, with uh, essentially wage AM and SPSE ACS employees and not very many people in those pilots were actually, you know, were, were actually able to telework, um, based, you know, basically full time. Well, when the pandemic hit um, and the, they decided that they were going to have to go in the direction of evacuating all employees, um, they got on board with full, with full-time telework for all of those employees. And for the most part, they've gotten, all, including new hires, um, you know, thousands of employees now that are customer service reps or contact representatives in uh, in AM and ACS sites are now teleworking essentially full time. So the other other areas of the IRS um, where you know it's it's more difficult for them is where you know where they need printers, the capacity to print. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's easier for the IRS to get a laptop that's ERAP equipped and get you a headset and say, you know, okay, so you can do your work. Um, you know, obviously it has to be portable um, from your home. You know, the big, the, some of the bigger issues with equipment right now are, are essentially with the, um, with the printers and with the thousands of employees that were non-frequent teleworkers who were never um, never really profiled or their, you know, their series is not profiled for, for, to have a printer. Um, so that's, that's a challenge for the agency. I, uh, I'd like to ask something here uh, that is more institutional than, than like today's news, but I think it's important in your position to talk about this. 
I started as an NTEU steward in the late 1980s when the awards uh, uh, contract provision was first negotiated at the national level, and we had a local agreement to implement that. I remember when what they call FlexiPlace came in the 90s, now called Telework, and that was rolled out. I was instrumental in helping the chapter roll that out, and we had a local agreement that dovetailed what was negotiated nationally. As the IRS has redone its, its entire organization over the years, the districts went away, the local chapters have had less uh, negotiating to do at the local level. I know we can get into the weeds on this, but I want to just have you spend a moment or two talking about how members of NTU, what should, be, what should the members expect in terms of what a union can negotiate over and what it's not allowed to negotiate over. Uh, that's mostly what you do. Could you just just a few minutes on that? Well, I know that's uh, I know that's that almost an, that that's an impossible uh, there's, ask. There's a, yeah, no, there's there's a you know I, you're right about that. Um, and uh, I came to NTU in 2003, and. This was after uh, the restructuring act of '98, uh, um, and the 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 organization of the IRS has changed significantly from the '90s to to currently. Um, and the biggest one is that uh, you know it it used to be um, you know at the at the district and local level where a lot of the essentially everyone was reporting all employees, no matter what division you were in, were were reporting uh, uh, up the chain at a local level, at a district level. And now um, there's 13 divisions of the IRS. Um, You know, each of them have their own uh, chain of command um, reporting to, you know, one or one of two different deputy commissioners in the IRS. Um, Things are more national, uh, I think, um, in terms of bargaining um, but uh, the other thing that you have to think about is local bargaining is that's a permissive subject of bargaining um, so that under the law, any type of local bargaining that we do um, is essentially because the parties have agreed that that's what they're going to do. That's the level at which they're going to bargain. Otherwise, if there's no agreement permissively to do it at the local level, then the bargaining would have to be at the national level. But everyone has everyone agrees that it doesn't make any sense for people in Washington to be bargaining over certain issues that are specific to, to a work site. Space moves, yeah. you know, that type of thing, where where you know, if they're gonna realign people um, in you know an area of Oklahoma or an area of Indiana. Um, or they're closing a POD in Indiana. Those are not issues that, you know, we need to address or should be addressing at the national level. Um, Well, and pre-pandemic, you know, we would essentially have to, we would fly people in to bargain in Washington, D.C. over, you know, the movement of, um, you know, 15 or 20 people in Indiana. I mean, that, or, you know, 40 or 50 or whatever it is. So, yeah, we have created a structure in Article 47, which is our midterm bargaining article, um, under which local issues can continue to be bargained at the local level. And, um, 
Is, is it different than back in the old days with the districts? Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure that the bargaining itself is is different. I think it's probably it's it's different in the in the sense that it you'd probably be bargaining, um, you know, with one division or division issues versus uh, issues that that cross divisions. Um, but yeah, the awards. I mean, if you there's two areas where um, you could look at the kind of the transformation of, a, of localized bargaining um, into national programs. And the one you mentioned, which is awards, um, and that's where back in 2000, the parties got together and said, um, you know, we need to, we need to kind of un- make a uniform, create a uniform program to distribute awards. Um, and I think that to a certain extent that worked fairly well, um, for a lot of years, um, more recently, uh, as you probably know, the IRS took steps to eliminate the geographical component of awards, which I think is just not a good thing for employees at all, because it's going to, it's going to mean that the awards are going to be distributed, um, to fewer fewer people than what the parties that uh, designed this award structure intended. And um, that's just for the sake of, uh, you know, administration by the IRS, you know, and NTU had nothing to do with, uh, with moving in that direction. And we actually fought it for a couple of years. The other area where you see a uh, kind of a transformation from a local to a national program is in the hours of work article where there used to be, you know, hundreds of um, local AWS, CWS, you know, local agreements between the chapters and uh, the IRS on what types of tours of duty schedules, flexibilities, and that type of thing would be, would be agreed to at the local level. And again, that is one of the, that's a program that at some point the parties said, you know what, that doesn't make sense for us to have to renegotiate um, in 108, 106 different chapters, um, different, you know, local uh, AWS uh, agreements. Let's just make it, make it available to um, create a, create an article that's, that's uniform and universal and applicable to all employees. And then, you know, you've gotten into uh, in doing that, you've had to carve out different areas where there are, there might need to be special rules, for example, uh, with call sites or in the various exhibits to Article uh, 23. We have just a few minutes left. Duncan, I'll give you the last question. Okay. Uh, my last question. So far, you know, on the CR, because we're running out of money at the end of the month, and I'm hearing that, uh, you know, Steny Hoyer has said, expect a CR. What are you hearing in that regard? Are you hearing that? we are going to be able to get one or do you think that's going to be a fight as well? I, what I'm hearing from our ledge shop is that uh, they don't anticipate that there's going to be a fight about a CR because of the, the fact that there's an election coming up, which you may have heard about. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> just so people know, CR means continuing resolution. It means the government's right. funded temporarily right. until a budget right. can be negotiated. In other words, if they if Congress doesn't pass a CR as of October 1, your new fiscal year, then there could be a shutdown of government. And I think the prospect of of you know the of Congress and the White House thinking that uh, or you know taking action that might result in a shutdown of government on October one is is just not something that um, I, I don't I don't foresee that as happening based on based on what we've been told by uh, you know our lead shop and what they're hearing on the hill. You know, Ken Moffat, thirty minutes is is just not long enough to talk to you. But uh, hey, we, we can we can do it another time. Well, if, I was going to say we would certainly love to invite you to come back at uh, future. I'm sure the issues may be different because I, I there there I have, I have plenty of questions uh, for you just about the whole issue of negotiations. We just barely touched on that, uh, but I it's been an uh, illuminating uh, discussion with you. I really appreciate your insights. Appreciate uh, all you have uh, to share with with our members and and uh, people outside Indiana are becoming fans of the podcast. We have other people listening. Any final comments from Duncan Giles? Uh, no, just uh, appreciate the great work that uh, Ken does. And uh, Ken and Doreen Greenwald, Tony's uh, Reardon's assistant, have been on these phone calls with the IRS, pressing them to make sure employees are getting A, everything that they can get, that they need, and doing a great job there. So, you know, just folks, we're doing everything we can. You know, think of it this way. Right now, we're working, we're getting paychecks, we're doing everything we can. It could be worse. You could be online dating at an advanced stage. So let me tell you, it's it, you're better off where you're at. Okay, we're not going to go there. Uh, I hope not. Uh, well, that, that, that I, there's so many angles to that, I'm not going to start. So, uh, Duncan, but no, I, I appreciate you all inviting me, and uh, it's it's – I think it's uh, it's been great, and I I would welcome another in- invitation to talk more about these issues. They're important issues, and they have uh, a, a lot of impact on employees. And it's um, you know we're living in different times right now. I mean this this country has never you know most of the people in this country didn't live during the 1918 pandemic. Um, so it's a you know it's a different time, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of issues of concern to employees, um, and you know we're working every day to address them and 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 try to to try to resolve as many issues as we possibly can. And I'll uh, echo Duncan's uh, comment. We appreciate everything the people do at the national office in Washington. And you just heard Ken Moffat. He is the director of negotiations for the National Union out of Washington D.C. NTEU. Ken Moffat, Duncan Joss, thank you very much. We'll be back next week with our regular Chapter 49 podcast. Thank you.